Hi, this is Tom Johnson from I'dRatherBeWriting.com. This is a recording of a presentation that I gave at User Assistance Europe in Manchester in June of 2013, and the title is Making Content More Findable When Users Browse and Search. The, the presentation lasts about an hour, and if you have comments, just please let me know in the post-show notes. Thanks. All right, we are going to get started here. This is a session on video, creating video tutorials for user assistance. And um, I'm excited to give this presentation because this is, this is one of my favorite topics. And you know, I've given sessions on videos before, and it usually draws a, a subset of the audience because not everybody creates videos. But you know, for those of people who, who are doing videos, uh, it's usually one of these areas where there are lots of questions because it involves all kinds of new media, you've got microphones, you've got sound and post-processing and delivery, all kinds of topics that are often outside the scope of technical writing. It's more in the realm of like audiovisual production. So there's lots of, it's, it's a fun and challenging sort of arena to be in. A while ago, uh, <clears throat> I had the opportunity, we had this, in a previous place I worked, we had this usability lab um, that had a room for people on one side and then like a glass window with a one-way mirror on the other where we could watch the people. And we had a usability guy in there who was kind of going through different parts of, of the application uh, with different users. And, and I said, look, one of the things I wanna, we want to test is the help. I'm just kind of curious to see how people react and how they respond in it. So, the usability guy said, all right, we'll give them a task that they can't really figure out without resorting to the help. So eventually the person would click the help and we'd get to see what they did. And it was quite um, revelatory. They went, the users, granted, they were all kind of new to the system or at least somewhat new. They went straight to the videos. They, the one user saw the videos, they were, they were um, downloaded from YouTube or embedded from YouTube and she said, cool, as soon as she saw YouTube. And they would, they would watch it. One lady watched it twice. It was a three and a half minute video. She watched it once and then she proceeded to watch it a second time and was completely kind of focused on it. Whereas with the text, users often skimmed. They, they would spend like five seconds on a page that would take two or three minutes to read. And, and so, Watching this gave me this just realization that, that, that for a lot of users, you know, the videos were, were highly informational resources and I, and I should create more of them. Um, and I've also found that, <clears throat> well, I have a few points here. I mean, a lot of people have this initial question, you know, why create videos? Um, so I just wanted to, to lead with a few points before getting into the more of the technical how-to information. Uh, videos, in my opinion, they, they combine the visual with, with the, the conceptual in ways that just makes learning work. Um, if, you've, if you're just trying to read a print manual and, and apply that to like your application, trying to make that bridge between the two is often, it's cognitively hard, right? But if you've got a video that shows you the, the application or the product as you're hearing it, you, you really connect the visual into, into the, all the components. Um, Videos also force you to be very simple in your speech. You can't just, you can't fake not understanding something or you can't, uh, you can't try to get too complex in, in your 
um, explanations. You really have to bring it down to a simple level that people can understand. And that's part of the reason they become so popular is because documentation can't be incomprehensible or, or, or really vague. It has to be concrete and right there. Um, tons of people search on YouTube. I think, I've, uh, I think it's like the second largest search engine. And finally, a couple other points. Product managers absolutely love video. Uh, more than almost anybody, not that we create videos for product managers, but I've noticed that it's like the slam dunk in a company to create videos. Um, I, just, I just started a new job a few months ago and one of the first things I mentioned, I said, hey, we've got this new JavaScript SDK coming out. You want me to create some videos? And they were like, hmm, we've never had anybody create videos before. I said, okay. And so I was like, of a complicated concept. I'm not sure if videos will work, but we, we did it and they loved it. They absolutely loved it. Um, it was kind of like this little little test, I guess, that I had passed. Uh, but um, okay, so one other little preface. I think there are, there are at least two types of learners uh, There's or two types of users. There, there's the advanced user who's like, hey, I just have a quick question. Don't make me sit through this long video to get to the question and, and so forth. And, and for that user, yeah, the video is probably not the preferred medium. But for the new user, the user who's just trying to figure something out, like how do I start, I'm brand new to this application, the video is, is great. All right, I think that, uh, <clears throat> by the way, when, when I'm talking about videos, I'm, I'm usually talking about simple screencasts, usually related to software instruction. Uh, there's a lot of different types of videos. Obviously, you can you can you can put a lot of production time into videos, and they can be they can involve actors and and settings and all this stuff. I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about simple show me or, or simple how-to screencasts, and, and often with with just software applications. Um, the traditional model uh, with with a lot of even these simple screencasts. Is, is something like this. You start out in a, in a committee uh, that, that gets together and they decide that, that they're going to try to write the script out as a committee or they have somebody that's kind of putting all this information in there and then they, they hand it off to, to like the tech writer to edit it maybe. Um, but eventually the, the script ends, ends up in a, in a voiceover person's desk and the person has a studio and the voiceover pro records it and it sounds great. And there's an audio visual specialist who creates the like accompanying media, you know, and then maybe a post-production person who's putting it together and uh, all, the, all these different components. And by the time you get to the very end, you see the video and the product manager says, well, actually this isn't right or we want to add this. And then it totally screws up the whole process, have to, has to go through the whole big cycle again. It's costly. It doesn't fit agile publishing at all. Um, if, you, if you have software that changes every two weeks, potentially, the life of your videos could be very short. And so they can't be that expensive to produce because otherwise it will just be a big um, uh, time sink and money hole. So I advocate a model in which the tech writer plays all of these roles. Um, you, you, you know the product better than almost anybody. Right? You've got scripts halfway written in the form of help material. You, you can change things on the fly if you're running the whole process. And, and usually tech writers are, are 
used to managing the whole authoring to publishing workflow anyway, so it kind of fits their, their mental model. But there's a problem with this, and that's <clears throat> that uh, technical writers were, were used to working with words on the paper, on the screen, in print, and web, and so forth, but the microphone and speech are totally different realms. They, they present new, new challenges and possibilities. We may feel really comfortable in composing ourselves in, in, with, with an email or with, a, with an article, but trying to vocalize it and articulate it in, in speech is different, especially when you're, when you're combining that with, with some, a video. So, I'm gonna outline a five-step process that I think works for creating video tutorials, and I'll just kind of share my, my methods. People have different methods. I think the, this method tends to work pretty well. Uh, first, you're gonna write a, a friendly script. And I'm, I'll go through each of these uh, after I provide this overview. F write a friendly script, you set up a recording environment, you record and narrate the video, you dub over the original recording, and then publish and embed the video. So nothing, nothing looks too difficult here, right? Except for each one of these steps can be quite tricky. And, and let's start with this very first one, the script. Do you even want a script? This is like the first question. Who, who here has ever gone to lynda.com and watched video tutorials on that site? Yeah, like six or seven, great, okay, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I saw a few more hands. So lynda.com is an is a incredibly popular uh, online learning site that's entirely video tutorial based. And um, they actually don't write scripts for their videos at all. I asked a guy, because I was really fond of, of some of the videos, and I, I was just curious to know if they had scripts they were reading or if they were just really good at making it sound like they weren't reading scripts. And uh, so I asked a guy, and here's what he said. Uh, David Rivers was uh, one of the guys I was watching. He says, I do record my screen and narrate simultaneously, as do all of the authors at lynda.com. I personally rehearse each movie before recording, but even then, it's not always a perfectly smooth recording. All recordings, once completed, move on to our editors and testers before any customer sees them. So while I try my best to get each movie captured in a single take, there's more happening behind the screen, behind the scenes long after I've completed my part. So a lot of these guys just do it off the cuff, but these people are pros in their, in their tool. They, they feel very comfortable in them. A lot of times if we're, if we're working with some kind of application or tool at our work, we may be pretty familiar with it, but not that familiar to just articulate you know, extemporaneously in a really fluid, perfect manner. So I think that uh, if, if you're writing, if you're doing this video for your company, a lot of times it makes sense to write, write a script beforehand. If you're just doing an informal video for, for the web or for something that's not as, uh, it doesn't have to be as polished, just create an outline of points to cover. Another question is kind of, uh, can I repurpose a help topic into my script? Do I have to write a different like, script? Can't it be the same? And ideally, ideally, yes, you should just be able to, to pull from your help. The problem is help doesn't tend to, to sound as friendly as it, as it should. A video script has more of the eye, like you know, I'm gonna click this or I'm gonna show you this. 
you have examples, right? You're walking through specific fields, like, whereas in help you say in the whatever field, type the widget name. Um, in, in a video script, you're probably going through an example and you'd say, you know, now I'm going to enter my widget name, which in this case is gizmo or something. So it's a little different, but ideally they should, they should kind of be in harmony. Uh, as far as length, <clears throat> oh, I do have some sound samples in here, and uh, uh, maybe I'll play one here in a minute. But as far as length goes, I tend to, I tend to recommend about 300 words. Usually 100 words equals about a minute of, of narration time. So if you try to make your script around 300 words, it'll be about three minutes long. But obviously it depends on what you're recording, like the task. If it's something that can't be captured in three minutes, it just doesn't make sense to break it up, then yeah, um, it could be longer. A lot of the lynda.com video tutorials are seven to eight, nine minutes. But next time you're watching a video, um, Try to, try to just pay attention to the, to the clock on the video or the, the timer and ask yourself when you time out, when your attention span taps out. And for me, it's around three minutes. I lose my, lose my patience. Um, but basically, they've done studies and, and like the ideal time in terms of keeping audience attention is two and a half to four minutes and so forth. Um, so anyway, the, the script is something that you want to keep fluid and, and don't, don't lock it down before you start recording, but shoot for like a 300 word video. Um, okay, so <clears throat> do you want to hear, the, do you want to hear the, the sample of scripted versus unscripted? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, hold on, I gotta grab my cursor. There we are. All right, so this is We'll, we'll do the scripted first. This is uh, some, this guy's a voiceover professional, right? So it's gonna sound kind of cheesy, but it'll give you a, an example of the difference between the two. Whoops. Wash fruits and vegetables thoroughly and rinse in warm water. Don't use soap or detergents. If necessary, use a small scrub brush to remove the surface. I know it's the first page footer because it says so right here. If I ever do want to add text here, I'll see at a glance which footer I'm working. In order to be eligible for voluntary retirement in CSRS, an employee must be age 50 and have 20 years of service covered under FFLEO. So this is uh, somebody's voiceover track, so it's a collage of their samples. All right, the other one is straight from lynda.com, and I just kind of grabbed the recording. So he's talking about like doing clip art in Microsoft or something, but it's unscripted. You can see the, the difference. Well, we're going to go to the home tab if you're not already there. And you'll see there is a drawing section here where we have shapes. So when we click on the shapes drop down, look at that. There's lots of shapes drop. There's lines. Now, this line is a plain old line. Some of them have arrows on the end. Some of them you can see bent or at elbows, as they call it. Some of them are curved, curved with arrows. And then there's even way over here, a scribble or a freehand drawing. We've got rectangles. Look at the basic shapes we have to choose from. There's the no sign of the happy face. So we'll come in handy at Valentine's Day, for example. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so which one did you like better? Uh, scripted or unscripted? Raise your hand if you like scripted. 
Can you raise your hand if you like to unscript it? Wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, this is a, this. I never quite know what to do with this because I think most of us are used to seeing unscripted things on the web, right? You go to YouTube, rarely does anybody script their videos. But in the company setting, it's so much more difficult to go unscripted because you're going to make errors or you're going to say things that, that you later think, oh, I, I'm not supposed to describe the product that way. Or you're going you're gonna to add things like, oh, hey, on Valentine's Day, this would be great to add. <laughs> and the, the videos will get to be somewhat longer. There is kind of a, a third option. It's not scripted or unscripted, either or. You can do a blend. So let's say you have a conceptual description that you want to get right because it's complicated or it's touchy or legal or whatever. You can read that part, but then when you, when you describe an action like, okay, you're going to click this menu option, then you're going to select this, then just wing that one off the cuff. And that kind of blend between uh, natural versus scripted is kind of a seamless, seamless uh, experience. I think that works well. So experiment and see what works for you. If you're really articulate, really dynamic, you know, speaking is your strength, you could probably just get away without the script. All right, let's go to step two. Set up a recording environment. This is a huge challenge. I don't know about you, but I've never worked in a company that had a built-in recording studio. Um, raise your hand if you, if you have like a recording studio at your work. Wow, three people do. Great. Okay. You're lucky. <laughs> You're going to probably have to improvise. So search around for the quietest room. And here's how you, here's how you tell if, if a room is a good candidate for, for recording videos. First, is there a fan you can hear? And in this room, you can hear a fan. Right? The fan to a microphone kind of sounds like a rushing background river. The second step is to clap. Hear all that echoing? That's bad, right? So you want to be able to just clap and not even hear any, any sound after that, just like a, a quick muffling after that. Another test is, are there windows on the rooms? Uh, you don't want people walking by and be peeking in and saying, oh, hey, there's Tom. What's he doing with that microphone? Um, <laughs> it draws a lot of attention. Um, and if you've got equipment set up there, you want to be able to leave it. So if you have like a lock on the door or if it's in a secure area, that's, that's really ideal. You can buy some pyramid foam type stuff. You can go down, to a, go down to a microphone shop, an acoustics shop, and buy acoustic foam to pin up on the walls. But your facilities group may get a little edgy, you know, if you get the spray adhesive and you just spray the wall and you put your foam up there, they may kind of freak out. So um, finally, you'll notice that I've got a couple of monitors in this sample setup. Um, and I think this is, this is ideal. I, 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 I use the Mac to record, uh, but I like to look on another screen for the video script. So using a couple of monitors uh, really makes things easy and, and worthwhile. Okay, so um, the, the microphone is usually a huge question people have. And this is the Yeti Blue microphone. A lot of people look at this mic and they say, ooh, you know, wow, that, that's awesome. It's a cheap USB mic that just kind of, it sounds okay, but it's not a professional mic at all. But it's still not bad. I think it's like $150. The, the, 
The good thing about USB is you just plug it in and it works. Um, but if you want to sound like more of a professional with a deeper, richer voice, you need, you need a real microphone. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, I had this microphone on my desk. This is the, the um, ElectroVoice RE20. And it's an XLR microphone, so the cable isn't a USB. It's, it's a, like a fat cable, and you've got to convert sig the signal. So it's more complicated. But I had this, this microphone on my desk at work, and my colleague, who's a visual designer, she said, oh, that's so old school. <laughs> and uh, I was like, this is a $400 microphone. She, she, wanted to see like a, she wanted to see this other microphone, which is much cheaper. So anyway, the looks, looks of the microphone don't necessarily speak to its strengths. But uh, this microphone, if you're, if you're really looking for a good setup, this is it. Um, get, get yourself a, a, a scissor, um, I can't remember what they're called. Okay, so this is a suspension mount, and it's like an elbow, elbow um, stand instead of just like a straight stand, because every time you click the mouse, that click is gonna travel up through the stand, and you don't want that. It'll sound, it'll sound poor on the video. Um, but if you do go this route, and by the way, if you're just like starting out, don't, don't buy a fancy mic. Um, actually, you know the reason, to be honest, the reason I got this, this mic, and I, I had to buy it from my, out of my own money, because uh, you know, it wasn't until later that I could persuade the company to, to buy the equipment. Um, the reason, to be honest, is that we had this other group that did the, the audiovisual stuff. And anytime somebody wanted to have a video, they would just send it off to this audiovisual group. And it was expensive and time-consuming, and I hated it. And I wanted to basically persuade them that we could do, tech writers could do videos. But I wanted my voice to sound professional. So I, I searched around and did a lot of research to try to find a microphone that would kind of amplify the bass of my voice and make me sound like uh, somebody who was professional. And so that's why I ended up getting this mic. But I didn't regret it because it did, it did really um, come in handy. But uh, if, you, if you do go this route, you have to convert the sound or the signal to a digital signal. Um, and, and you can do that through a, a mixer that basically it has got a bunch of fancy controls, but all that really apply are things in one row. This supports like seven or eight different connections. Um, and and you, can, you can adjust things. You can, you can turn up the bass in your voice. You can turn up the, the high, high frequency or the mid-tones. Uh, and then this has a USB out that you just plug into your computer. Now, if you have a Mac, the sound will be really quiet. If you have a PC, there's lots of internal circuitry that makes kind of party noises inside your machine. So it's not as good. But you may not have the luxury of just buying a Mac. Um, I did do a lot of sample like sound comparisons with different microphones. And um, they don't come across very well when projected in here. But uh, I'll post this later, and you can check it out. You, you can buy cheap microphones, fancy microphones, um, and there really is a, a sound difference. But if your end output is, is going to be like rendered down so it's really optimized, you may not, might, may not really um, see that difference a whole lot. The Snowball microphone from, from, Yet, from Blue is also really good, by the way. I didn't have that one there. OK. so. There's one other kind of essential little component that, that is nice to have. It's not, nothing tremendously insightful for people in audio. But uh, this is called a pop filter. 
So do this little test, okay? You're gonna hold your hand out in front of your mouth and say something with some P words, like the pirate has a pig instead of a, a parrot, right? Feel the, go ahead and just say that and, and feel the, the puff of sound every time you say a P word, like pig, pirate. <laughs> Can you feel like there's a puff of wind? So the pop filter's job is to take and mitigate that, that puff so it doesn't uh, come out sounding like a, her, a tornado hitting your microphone. Um, and, and the pop filter is kind of annoying because it's visually big, but uh, uh, there's smaller ones as well. Okay, finally, let's say that you want to kind of dampen the sound around the, mi the microphone. You can, you can get these little, uh, either a portable booth like this on the left, or like a reflection filter thing on the right. Uh, some way to try, to try to make it so the sound doesn't bounce off the walls. You don't need all that stuff, but you know, you, you can convert your environment into something a little more polished if you want. Okay, any questions right now? Should I stop and pause for any questions? Usually people have tons of questions about microphones. Chris? Um, are you just, not a question, but a suggestion. You want to say money on the platform, nylon hose and a coat hanger Yeah. Yeah, so nylon hose, hose and a coat hanger. You know, I, I initially did want to save money on a pop filter, and I did that, and it does work. The only problem is attaching the coat hanger to like someplace stable on the microphone requires like a lot of malleability skill or something. I don't know. You have to really know how to how to fix that up there so it looks good. Another problem is like people may come by and say, "Is that is that pantyhose on a on a coat, <laughs> coat hanger?" So there's kind of a cool factor that you have to wonder about. But anyway, good point. All right. Step three. Record and narrate the video. So, so this, is where, this, is, this is where I have a unique approach that I think is really worthwhile. When you record, don't worry about how you're delivering the voice, okay? You, you, the problem is you're, you're driving a mouse, usually, right? You're driving a mouse while you're trying to read a script, right? So you can't really look at two places at once and do a good job. So just record it and try to get it so that the recording is, syncs with your general narration. Later, you're going to go back and dub over this voice to make it sound more professional. If you want. You don't have to. I'm just saying it's an option. Now, as far as um, your setup, you want to record your, your window at 1280 by 720 pixels because that is the minimum dimensions to render your video as an HD video when you upload it to YouTube or Vimeo. So, a lot of times, this, this sort of detail escapes, escapes people who aren't recording screen, uh, screen text and so forth. But when you have a, little, a screen with words on it, <clears throat> you want that to be really sharp, right? Um, and so if, you're, if you later resize your screen so you don't have the one-to-one -one kind of ratio and it's smaller, that screen text is going to look really fuzzy. But if you have this on YouTube or some other service, that has the HD clarity option, you know, it's gonna render into HD. Then even when you have that video resized smaller, the screen text will still be really clear and readable as long as the initial input of the video has enough pixels to maintain that kind of high density of, of, of visual information. So basically set it at 1280 by 720. It's kind of wider than it is long, obviously, or tall, but uh, that really works well. Um, 
And, and even if you choose a different dimension, remember what the dimension is because let's say you're recording and then you stop and you later wanna go back and patch in a new segment. Well, if you can't remember what the dimensions were, it's gonna, it's gonna look choppy, right? It's gonna, it's gonna skip around in terms of your size. Uh, don't wiggle your mouse around when you're moving. If you wanna call attention to something, you don't wanna move the mouse. In fact, the, the less you move your mouse, the better. Because when you're post-processing your video, if you, let's say you chop out a segment uh, of your video, but during that segment, your mouse was over here, and after the segment, your mouse is over here, well then it's gonna like jump all of a sudden uh, when you do that edit. So as long as you um, don't need to move your mouse, let's say you're just explaining a concept, then just leave the mouse still. And that way you can make all kinds of smart edits without, without fuss from the mouse. And finally, obviously turn off like any kind of pop windows, your Outlook window or your Gmail notifier or Skype or whatever that's gonna suddenly appear when you least want it to during your video. Okay, um, as far as recording tools, I usually, don't, I usually don't even mention the tools thing because as I indicated earlier, people get very political about it. But I will just come out and say candidly that I think that Camtasia for Mac is the best recording platform for this simple software sort of, sort of solution where you have a screencast of something going on on your screen that you're trying to capture. It's limited in what it can do. If you wanna have fancy subtitles slide in and around, you may have to work with a higher end platform like Adobe Premiere or Final Cut Pro, but really, you know, the heart of what you're doing is instructing somebody in some kind of software process, right? So it's usually a simpler video. Um, there's some other options. There's Camtasia for PC. You'll notice I totally put that in a different class. That's because they're, they're really, they're like different applications entirely. Um, and I, I think the Mac one is, the Mac one's cooler because you can animate things. You can make things move dynamically on the screen. I'm not sure if you can do that in the PC one yet. Also, um, TechSmith, the people who make the Camtasia product, uh, they came out with a Camtasia for Mac like years after the Camtasia for PC. So they put in all this, all this learning that they, that they built up from, using, from creating the PC version and they built the, the Mac one right. So. Um, it really is, is a product that's better. There's also Mimic. You know, if you're, if you're translating stuff and you have like different captions that you want translated, that would be a better option there. If you have slide-based stuff, like let's say you have a bunch of PowerPoints that you just started recording, Captivate probably works a lot better there. Um, and then there's some Mac, other Mac options. So, you know, the cool, cool thing about Camtasia for Mac is it's only $99 or, or something ridiculously cheap. And uh, a lot of the other tools are pretty inexpensive as well. Um, and I didn't mention probably a dozen more that are options here. Okay, so most of this stuff, recording, setting up your environment, you know, buying a microphone, uh, writing a script, you can do that easily enough. It's not, it's, it doesn't pose any huge challenges. The challenge in doing a video is getting professional voice, I think. And so this is why I recommend this step. After you record the video, extract out your audio track, export it into its own file. 
open it up in Audacity, which is a free audio editor, and you're going to dub over it. So um, let me see if I, oh, sorry. I, I, I might have some clip later that kind of shows that. But basically, uh, I think it's really the trick to getting good audio is to basically do this dub over part. And it's a lot easier than it sounds. Um, but, but you really want to have the opportunity to focus solely on the, the audio component for a while. And there's some tips that, that voiceover people, by the way, there's a whole like industry of voiceover artists that have professional talent, that, that you know, they have conferences, and it's a, it's a whole discipline and trade. Uh, and they, they've got lots of great tips that, that come into play. So I'm just going to kind of give a survey of this in a minute. Um, but before I get into these tips, think about the, the many ways that you can read a sentence. And this, is, this is why the voiceover part gets so tricky. Uh, for example, she stole the money, right? The way I read that doesn't mean a whole lot. But let's say I, I changed the inflection. She stole the money changes the meaning. She stole the money. She stole the money. You know, or, or the door is open. It's like the door is open versus the door is open or the door is open. You know, it changes the whole meaning based on how you, how you inflect that. And so as you're reading a script, you, got, you have in the back of your mind or, or unconsciously, every time you change the inflection, you could possibly be changing the meaning. And so that's why it's much more uh, complicated to, to kind of get it right. So here are some tips. I've got like eight tips. And this is by far the hardest part of doing the video. So, so this is usually where I like to focus. The best tip of all is to read ahead. So actually I have a clip. This guy, now this guy who's delivering it is, is a voiceover pro. And he, uh, you try to guess whether he's reading this or if he's just, or if he's just like delivering it naturally. Okay, so he's got some exercises and so forth for this, but uh, you know, the, the, one of the best ways to practice this um, 
is if you have small children or grandchildren that you want to read to, read storybooks to at night, this is the perfect opportunity um, to, to practice this. But basically, as he says, you want to read ahead. Because as you read ahead, then, then you know how to inflect, right? If you're just reading the word by word, you don't really know whether it's even a question or a sentence or how it fix, fits into the context of, of the paragraph. Um, but reading ahead really lets you plan for the right inflection. So did he, do you think he was reading a script there or was he just speaking naturally? Undetermined. <laughs> so I think he's good enough that, it, that you can't tell. Oh, maybe he memorized it? Yeah. Yeah, so you're saying that the, there's, there's another element. Actually, that leads into this very next slide, which is pitch variation, right? He, he varied his pitch. Next time you're watching TV, take a note of this. Just kind of uh, listen for the pitch variation in people's voices. People in dramatic situations really vary their pitch a lot more. Sometimes if uh, you're listening to a lecture or just in, if somebody is reading something, their pitch goes flat. Or just read a paragraph and listen to your pitch and then listen to natural speech or people in theater. Uh, actually, actually recorded this I did a sample. Uh, some guy was talking in my cube. He was, he was just coming over to visit. He was chatting with a neighbor. And, and I recorded his voice patterns. And it was up and down because he was really he was excited about something. He was talking about some book he had read and the character and everything. And, and if you compare that kind of pitch variation with, with just how people often read and their, their voice goes like this and blah, 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 and they sound monotone, people go to sleep. So, so if you can vary your pitch, it makes a huge difference in, in sort of the engagement and the personal uh, elements. One kind of, this is a, a follow-up tip to varying your pitch, but it's learn to pause. You know, so if you can, you don't have to, to always uh, give the same timing between sentences. You can, you can pause for a couple of seconds. It really makes a big difference. Now here's a tip that's more of a, one of these voiceover pro tips. But you, if you smile while you're reading, uh, that smile somehow warms up your copy and makes it much more, your delivery much more friendly. And they've done studies, you've got, I'm showing here some faces, apparently people did a study and found that when people made a frowny face versus a, or an angry expression versus a happy expression, it actually changed their moods. You know, it, it's the cliche where if you smile, you suddenly start having a better day. Well, well biologically, it actually happens. It's, it's the whole Pavlovian thing where if you, if you have some kind of external signal, it, it triggers an internal um, reaction. Anyway, the smile is, is huge. I don't really think it's that practical to always be smiling while you're reading copy, but sometimes if you listen to commercials on the radio especially, you can tell that the, the voiceover actor is really smiling and it, and it warms up the copy a lot. So it, it's a good practice. Um, another technique is to learn to breathe. 
So this guy is Chris McQueen. He's one of my, my friends that used to work at, te at TechSmith, now works at Google. And he's got uh, some tips about breathing. Basically, the breathing thing is kind of weird because uh, what, what people say is that if you're not, like if you find that you're running out of breath, then you're, you're totally not doing the voiceover correctly. You should, it should be as natural as a conversation. You don't run out of breath on a conversation, right? So let's hear what he has to say. So learn to breathe, right? Finally, uh, enunciate. So a, a classic sort of example, I'm sure you've heard of Demosthenes who would put marbles in his mouth as a way to practice being more articulate. articulate. It really does work, right? If you take a pencil and you, and you um, not chew it, but put it in your mouth while you try to read for a while, uh, it forces your muscles to extend a bit more and to work harder. And then you take that pencil out, suddenly you can speak so much clearer, your muscles are like all fine-tuned and, and, and more powerful. Um, in fact, a lot of these, these voiceover pros, in order to do these different voices, they really build up their muscles. Like they've got more, not only are they breathing correctly, breathing out through their diaphragm, they've got so much more muscular control with their, with their, with their mouths and everything. Um, so anyway, these are some tips. Finally, you can, you can think of speaking to somebody, you know, if, you, if that helps, like thinking that your, your grandma is in front of you or something, uh, that can help you personalize things. But basically, these are the tips, right? You know, read ahead and vary your pitch. Those are the biggest two. If you don't remember any others, just remember those. Uh, pause, learn to breathe, enunciate, smile, imagine an audience. The cool thing about doing the recording, the dubbed over recording, is that you can do it multiple times. You can um, do it as many times as you want until it sounds, sounds good. Um, and this is a part where, where there's lots of room to grow. Uh, you shouldn't expect to sound like a, a voiceover pro the first time. I certainly don't, but hopefully you'll be good enough that it, that it won't be distracting. Um, now I've got some samples here and I won't go through all of them. In fact, I'll only go through one of them. But uh, one here I really like. I used to listen to audiobooks while I, while I rode, rode my bike. I used to bike to work. Actually, still bike to work. Uh, but now I don't bike as long, so I don't listen to audiobooks. But when I did, I downloaded them from Audible. And one of my favorite authors was this guy named Bill Bryson. And he's, uh, he's got a book about the short history of the universe, or short history of nearly everything. I think he's a perfect narrator. Um, so I'll just play this clip really quickly. 
and see if you can pick out some of these techniques. To be here now, alive in the 21st century, and smart enough to know it, he also had to be the beneficiary of an extraordinary string of biological good fortune. Surviving on Earth is a surprisingly tricky business, that the billions and billions of species of living things that have existed since the dawn of time, most, 99.99%, are no longer around. Life on Earth, you see, is not only brief, but dismayingly tenuous. It is a curious feature of our existence that we come from a planet that is very poor at promoting life, but even better at extinguishing it. The average species on Earth lasts for only about four million years. So if you wish to be around for billions of years, you must be as fickle as the atoms that made you. You must be prepared to change everything about yourself. Shape, size, color, species affiliation, everything, and to do so repeatedly. That's much easier said than done, because the process of change is random. To get from protoplasmal primordial atomic globule, as the Gilbert and Sullivan song put it, to sentient. Okay, so. Can you kind of get a sense that he, he does vary the pitch? He, he pauses at the end of sentences. Um, it's, he enunciates, so it's very clear. And uh, you know, he's also got an English accent. <laughs> I, that's right, that's priceless. No, in all honesty, um, sometimes when I'm, I'm sitting around in a product team and we're talking about, somebody says, well, who's gonna do the voice? You know, as if like my voice is not nearly acceptable or something. Um, a lot of times they'll say, you know, let's get a let's get a female voice, you know, and if you can work in somebody with an accent and a female voice, it's like a knockout combination. So I don't know if that was just the product team. Apple Siri is going to move to a, or they're going to give you an option to have a male voice now. So I don't know if that in, indicates any kind of trends, but that was my experience. In, in all these situations, I, in all of these situations, I ended up doing the voice, and nobody nobody complained afterwards anyway. So. It's probably just some fleeting little thing. All right. Uh, in other sessions, I've had people actually practice reading copy, and it's always fun, but we kind of don't have that much time, so I'll skip that part. Finally, your fifth step. You want to publish and then embed your video. Now, if you can, um, you definitely want to leverage an existing video service like Vimeo or YouTube because it makes it so much easier. You, you upload the video and you've, get, you've got little embed code. You can put it at different sizes. It makes it really easy. And there's a few key points between Vimeo and YouTube. Now, if, if, you're in a, if, if you don't have these options, you can just ignore them, right? If you have restrictions for whatever reason. But, but if you can, use one of these. Um, YouTube is cool because you can take your transcript and upload it, and Google's YouTube service will match the timing of your transcript to your voice automatically. Uh, it, it, it's kind of mind-blowing. You don't have to like set any kind of timing to it at all. It will automatically match it. And then you can have captions right there. And you can even have multilingual captions. You can have it translate the captions on the fly using Google Translate. Or if you've got translated captions, upload them there. The bad thing is that if you replace the video URL, like if you want to get an updated video, you have to delete the entire old video. That means you have to get a new embed code. Vimeo lets you just replace the existing video. 
but they don't have the caption feature. And it's also a paid service. So you have to kind of pick which one you want. Um, I also recommend kind of putting the scripts below there, below the video, just for people who want to scan it or who want to, um, just for the search engine, uh, so that it can be picked up in searches and so forth. And, and if your video script is totally different from your help, you know, ask yourself why. Well, you know, the video script is, is more personal, it's more clear. Why shouldn't help be that way? All right. Uh, there's some other topics we didn't get into about delivering video for mobile and so forth, but we are coming to a close. We have two minutes or how many more? One minute. Um, I will just recommend that uh, if, you, if, you, if you want to do video tutorials, just jump in and, and start doing them. Um, there's lots of resources online. They're, they're not that hard. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, people love them. Users love them. Product managers love them. It, it's a great asset to your help. And it, it kind of um, is a, a winning situation all around. All right, I will be here for questions. So come up and ask if you, if you have something or later. Or send me an email, tom at I'd rather be writing.com. I'd be happy to respond. So thanks again.